Hey, welcome to the Faith NFM podcast. We appreciate your time today, and we encourage you to head on over to faithnfm.com where you can find the notes for this presentation, as well as links to all that's happening around Faith Assembly. Our hope is that this message helps move you forward in your faith journey. I want to dive in. I want to talk to you about this. Do first what matters most. Do first what matters most. The Apostle Paul says something along these lines. He says, Philippians 3.13, when it comes to doing first what matters most. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on the one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. You notice on in verse 13, Paul says this, he says, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. You know, there's a lot of tough times that we face, and there's a lot of moments that we regret, right? Raise your hand in this place if you've had a regret at least once or twice in life. Some students from New York City or Strayer University in New York City, they did this social experiment. They set up a board lot like this and they put it outside of a park with this question, biggest regret, regret, question mark. And then they said, as the day went through, they would have people come forward and they'd take a marker and they would write their biggest regret. So you'd see sayings like this, not applying to school, not saying I love you enough, not staying in touch with friends, working too much, not taking a risk, not traveling, worrying too much, not making amends, not trying hard enough. They were inundated when they looked at these responses from people. Many times people would go up to the board and they would be pondering what was taking place and thinking about their regrets. And the students would see the, the individuals come forward and write their biggest regret and this instant shame would just cover their face. They'd be discouraged, hopeless, started to set in. And as they would go and they would write it, the students started to notice this one word appearing time and time again, the word not. Not being good enough, not taking a chance, not taking a risk, not being a good spouse, not taking bigger risk, not applying to jobs. And they repeatedly said the word not. Today we're gonna be looking at a story where Jesus warns the audience that the greatest mistake, that the greatest regret that you may have is, is not drinking too much, it's not saying bad words, it's not yelling and losing your temper, it's not living a promiscuous life, it's not living on credit card or telling, all those things can be trialsome, right? But the biggest warning, the biggest thing where we can miss it is not being ready. Not being ready. We've been in this series called Down to Earth. We've been looking at some of Jesus's unique teachings known as parables. There's approximately 40 of them throughout scripture with Matthew and Mark and Luke and some uh, are found in each of the gospels. 
And we come to this parable in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 3. It's known as the parable of the ten virgins. When I was a new believer, I read that and was like, whoa, ten virgins. What does that mean? A little bit confusing. But it's also known as the parable of the bridesmaids. And we're going to dive into that because it needs to be unpacked for each and every one of us. And it's important whenever we look at the context of Scripture, who is Jesus talking to? So Jesus just comes out of the temple and he's walking with his close friends known as the disciples. And he turns and he tells them this in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. You can join me or you can follow in your handout. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The five who were foolish didn't take enough olive oil for their lamps, but other five were wise enough to take extra oil. When the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, they were roused by a shout, Look, the bridegroom is coming. Come out and meet him. All the bridesmaids got up and prepared for their, their lamps. Then the five foolish ones asked the others, please give us your oil because our lamps are going out. But the others replied, we don't have enough for all of us. Go to the shop and buy some of some for yourselves. But while they were gone to buy the oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast and the door was locked. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door, let us in. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. So you too must keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. So Jesus is teaching this to his disciples. It's his final sermon. Can you imagine being a disciple and thinking, okay, we're listening to this man teach us, and you're talking about some bridesmaids? It's unique. The way Jesus would encounter and teach and communicate to people, it would often be like a farmer who would just simply be walking along a path and, and putting seed into the ground, hoping that it roots in these individuals' lives, hoping that it would sprout, hoping that it would flourish, hoping that it would grow to be fruit and understanding for them. So this is what we learn when it comes to observing this parable, when it comes first to doing what matters most. The first is what Jesus teaches us is we must make every day count. Make every day count. Now, the context of the story is always important. See, weddings back in the first century were major parties. I don't know if you've ever been to a party or a wedding celebration where you're thinking to yourself, that's a little much, right? But these individuals, this group of people, a wedding didn't just happen for a couple hours on a Saturday afternoon. A wedding was a, 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 a days or three days up to a week event. It was always staggered with different things. It was exciting. The whole town was basically invited to the wedding. 
So Jesus is teaching this that, hey, we got to make every day count. That means whenever there is this moment to celebrate, you must celebrate, you must invest, you must understand the importance of what is taking place. When the groom is coming, are you ready to rejoice? See, back then it wasn't, here comes the bride, it was, here comes the groom, yeah, let's go. And people were excited. The bridesmaid's job was to keep watch. Hey, is is that groom coming? So that groom would spend some time getting situated, everything at the home, making sure that everything was made for the final dinner that he would have a place to take his bride. Everything was in accordance. Everything mattered. Every detail mattered. See, the foolish bridesmaids missed it, though. They didn't make the moment count. They didn't make the day count. We see three ways. First, that there is not enough oil. They run out of the most important ingredient to do what is asked of them to do. What that means for us, they wasted time. They didn't get serious. They didn't invest in the right responsibilities, the right people, do the correct actions. And then they fell asleep. They weren't trying to fall asleep. They seemed to be pretty prepared, but they didn't have the discipline. They, they missed what was most important. And then they relied on others. They left their chance, their opportunity to have an encounter, to be the one that can assist the bride and let it in somebody else's court, gave it over to someone else to handle. I don't know if you've been in this place, but I've had numerous conversations at times throughout my life with individuals who say, hey, my grandmother, she was a prayer warrior, and because grandma's a prayer warrior, I think I'm good. Or maybe some of us, you have a good spouse, and your spouse, I mean, they go to church, they love the Lord, and everything is great, and so you're like, hey, maybe it's going to rub off a little bit on me, and I'm going to be good, and we're cashing our ticket through them, and hoping that we're made all right with the Lord. So you have to come to this understanding that you and I have a responsibility to make every day matter, every day matter count. It's not up to the person to your right. It's not up to the person to your left. It's not the people you're going to meet in the future, but it's you right now in this moment, in this place, in the days ahead. We can't be a complacent Christian in a world that needs effective followers of Jesus. See, Jesus teaches this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 and 16. He says, you are the light of the world like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand wherever it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise the Heavenly Father. Now, for the purpose of an illustration and and bringing something visual, we have a a lantern up here. A lantern takes fuel, takes oil to, to light the lamp. It takes that fuel to make this lantern light up. In the same way, what you do in your life every day, what you're pouring in will dictate how the lantern operates. 
will dictate how your light in your life glows, will dictate how and people see and can, can absorb what is around you. I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where, you know, you have a light bulb going out in the house and you're like, it's a little tall. I don't feel like getting the step stool, the chair or the ladder. And you just let that thing kind of sit up there. And before you know it, it one day is working, the next day it's not. And then you're like, man, I should really change that light bulb. We've had moments where we can get pretty relaxed when it comes to making our days count. I'm just going through the motions, not paying attention to what we're fueling up our lights with. We have to ask ourselves, are we bright enough for people to see who Jesus is in our life? Are we living a life where what's being poured in is, is healthy and, and people can see the goodness around? Are we making every day count? That's what Jesus is teaching. That's what Jesus is saying where the fullest bridesmaids missed it. They just went through the motions. They just relaxed and it wasn't good enough. They missed the bridegroom coming. Another observation we pull from this morning's text is this. Understand not everything can be borrowed. When I first read this passage when I was in Bible college, I was really confused. So if you're in this place right now and you're, you're reading the word of God and you're like, man, I am confused about what takes place in some of the Old Testament. I'm confused about some of these stories. I'm saying welcome to the club. That's why we believe in being lifelong learners here at Faith. Because God is always using his Holy Spirit to reveal different things to us. I remember thinking, okay, these bridesmaids, they just wanted to borrow some oil. That's not that big of a deal, right? Like, can't there be enough for it all to go around? Especially when you have this verse ringing in your head in John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this, that somebody lay down his life for a friend. So Jesus applauds someone for giving up their life, but in the same sense, we can't have a little oil. See, the point of this, where the bridesmaids don't share their oil, is coming to this understanding, not everything can be borrowed. You're responsible for your character. You're responsible for how you treat others through love. You're responsible for your relationship with Jesus. We live in a day and age where borrowing is, is something easy to do. You can borrow a car. You can borrow money with a nice interest rate now, right? You can borrow different things. You can borrow milk. You can borrow food. You can borrow other items around this place. But the one thing we cannot borrow is a love for Jesus, who he is in our life. So the question we have to ask ourselves, is Jesus the centerpiece in our life? Or are we hoping that we can just borrow from somebody else? You'll see a picture right here uh, to my left. This is a painting by this man by the name of Adolf Menzel. It's a fascinating painting. It's in a museum and it's world-renowned. Many artists get it. And you might be thinking when you see it, you're like, what's so great about that painting? 
Like there's a big spot right in the middle of that painting. Part of what makes this painting unique is that it's not complete. In fact, Adolf Menzel, this is the port, this is the painting known as Frederick the Great addresses his generals before the Battle of Luthien in 1757. See, this painting is interesting because the artist, Menzel, he crafts and he paints everything starting on the outside, working its way toward the middle. So you see generals, you'll see the landscape, you'll see other significant people in it. But the one thing that's missing is the most important character, the king. So for each and every one of us, we have to be asking ourselves, is Jesus the center in our life? People ask, well, hey, Menzel, why didn't you ever finish the painting? It says he got so frustrated. He always sketched it out. He sketched it out. He had every intent to come back and do it. But then it got too late. He never returned and never completed the painting. I love how the great C.S. Lewis puts it, and he says this, put first things first and second things are thrown in. Put second things first and you lose both first and second things. What's the priority? What are you borrowing or what are you centering your life on? In John 9 verses 4 and 5 it says this, we must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work, but while I am here in the world, I am the light of the world. We need to understand that not everything can be borrowed, that there's this sense of urgency that resides in followers of Jesus. We have people around us who are dying and going to hell daily. What are we as a church doing about it? What are you in your, with your coworkers, with your friends, with your neighbors, what are you doing about it? I ask myself every day, what am I doing about it? It's a challenge. It's this understanding that, hey, they can't borrow the goodness and the faithfulness of my God. How can I help them experience the radical life change that Jesus brings into our lives? Moments and, and times and situations occur where we say, hey, we have enough time. We can just do it. But then you're going to be like that Menzel. Always wanted to get back to the painting. Never did. Observations for us. We can't always borrow things. Number three we get this morning is we need to value God's available grace. I also had another question when I came to studying and reading the scripture and going through it. I really wrestled with where is the grace in this story? I mean, for goodness sakes, the, the bridegroom goes into the house and it says locks the door. You couldn't have just shut the door? locks the door, keeps the other bridesmaids out. You're like, hey, where's this grace? Some get in, some don't. The point is this, when it comes to understanding that we, you and I, the individuals that hear and read this story, we have grace because we can receive the warning that is at hand, that it's before us. That there's this time to understand and look and, and, and unpack the scriptures for ourselves personally. 
See, it's fascinating when you look through the text, you know what's really unique? The bridegroom, or in a sense, Jesus as the character, never condemns, never says that these bridesmaids who didn't get into the party, the final ceremony, the final dinner, doesn't call them names, doesn't say they're ridiculous, doesn't say that they're evil, simply calls them foolish, simply says they miss it, simply says that they drifted. See, we might miss God's grace not because something evil and messed up we do, but it's because we just drift away. There's this man one day, him and his wife attended a funeral in a small country church in rural Alabama. The man was from a large city and never attended a funeral like this one. The casket was open and the preacher spoke a sermon. And as the preacher spoke and pounded the pulpit and he looked at the casket and he said, it's too late for Joe. Joe may not have wanted to get his, Joe may have wanted to get his life together, spend more time with his family, make things right. But now Joe is dead and it's too late for him. Then the preacher, I don't know if you've ever been to one of those churches before, looked at the crowd, says, it's not too late for you. The man, city folk, comes back and he's frustrated and he gets in the car with his wife and they drive away. And on the way home, he told his wife, have you ever seen anything like that? How manipulative, how insensitive. At this man's funeral, how disgusting. She responded, I have never seen anything like that, heard anything like that. It was manipulative, it was disgusting, it was insensitive, and worst of all, it was true. See, the idea is this when it comes to being a follower of Jesus. You and I have to come to understand just the goodness and the grace that the Lord has given us. I think a lot of times we take that for granted. We say, you know what? If I make a mistake, I can make another. My God's going to forgive me. Oh, you know, it's not that big a deal. I'll just put my, my, my toe in the water a little bit. Oh, it's all good. So we miss the mark that Jesus is giving us time and time, grace after grace. But guess what? Grace isn't infinite. Our Lord is infinite. I love how the late R.C. Sproul puts it this way when it comes to the topic of grace. He says, God's grace is not infinite. God is infinite and God is gracious. Understand that God is gracious. We experience the grace of an infinite God, but grace is not infinite. God sets limits to his patience and forbearance. He warns us over and over again that someday the ax will fall and his judgment will be poured out. That's what we're learning in the story, that there's moments where that front door is going to be locked. As followers of Jesus, are we well aware of what we're pouring into the lantern, what, we're, what kind of light we're emitting to everyone? Because one day that grace that we have taken for granted might be too late. Grace 
is essential to our walk. I'm grateful for the grace that we've received from the Lord, but there is going to be a day. There's going to be a moment when the door is going to be shut and it's going to be locked. But we have hope. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says this, God saved you by his grace for when you believed and you can't take credit for this. There's nothing you and I can do. It's just what God has done. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus. So we can do the good things he has planned long ago. See, our faith in Jesus not only saves us from something, but also saves us for something. Church, when we realize just how good that grace is that we get, man, things change. And then the last observation we get from this story is this. We must stay alert. Stay alert. The bridesmaids, they're left outside. They're yelling. They're pleading, let us in. And and Jesus summarizes this parable in Matthew 25, verse 13. He says, so you too must keep watch. He turns back to the disciples and he says, you too must keep watch. For you do not know the day or hour of my return. See, the original language of keep watch here says this means to continually stay awake, to continually be alert, to continually keep your eyes going. Because we, the, the, the way this parable is told, we didn't have cell phones to say, hey, the, the groom is going to be here in an hour. The groom's going to be here in three hours. The bridesmaid's responsibility is to keep the, the, the candle lit to see who's coming, to, to see that they can do and, and, and cherish and withhold and withstand their responsibilities. So when we relate that to us, we come to an understanding of this. There's moments where we kind of get relaxed. I'm reminded of a story where I've encountered and heard that You know, there's some parents who've done incredible jobs of raising their kids. They take them to church every Sunday. The the kid grows up to be an adult who loves Jesus. And then it comes to a point, comes to a moment where the parent who raised their child in church says, you know what, I don't really know if I need to continue to go. Like, my kids are good. And they kind of get complacent. But that adult kid starts thinking, hey, you know what? Why aren't my parents going to church anymore? They raised me in church. There's moments where you and I don't want to stay awake, don't want to stay alert. We say, I'm tired. I'm tired of keeping a good attitude. I'm tired of not saying or saying the right words. I'm tired of smiling whenever that person does not deserve a smile. If you're a parent in this room, some of the greatest moments in your life are when it's seven or eight o'clock at night and the kids are getting ready for bedtime because you can just have a moment of relief. But see, in this parable, Jesus challenges his followers. You can't ever come to a moment where you have an opportunity to sit back and say, all right, I just, I just need a moment of relief. I just, it's not, I don't have to do it anymore. 
ah, it's, it's good, someone else will do it. So Jesus is challenging his disciples. There's gonna come a moment. You need to stay awake. You need to be alert. You need to continually observe. I wanna challenge you in this place right now. Maybe you've been following Jesus for 30, 40, 50 years. Are you continually living with a vigor to say, you know what, I'm gonna stay awake. I'm gonna stay alert. I'm gonna keep modeling. Even though I don't think I need to model anymore, I'm gonna keep modeling what it means to follow Jesus to my family and to my friends. There's never a moment in life when you and I arrive. I'll be the first to admit. My wife would be the second to admit. My challenge for you, my my encouragement to you is this. Keep expecting God to do something new. Be faithful in your life. And Isaiah, the Old Testament prophet, says this in 4318 and it's a summary and Paul even talks about it. it says but forget all that it is nothing compared to what I'm going to do I am not I'm about to do something new see I've already begun do you not see it I will make a pathway through the wilderness I will create rivers and dry wasteland. You might be thinking right now that you're in a wasteland, that there is no hope, that you are down and out, that you are hurting, that you are in pain. I want you to say this to yourself. I'm going to stay awake. I'm going to keep my head up. I'm going to keep looking because my God's not done with me, that there's still this warning that we don't have to borrow from someone else, that we're going to make every day count, that we know he's going to continue to operate in our lives. We're going to stay alert and we're going to receive that. None of us have ever arrived. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. See, when we listen to this warning, doing first what matters most, am I making every day count? Am I holding on to what God's entrusted me with? I'm not borrowing from somebody else. Am I saying to myself, you know what? I'm gonna be alert even though I'm tired, even though I'm depleted, even though my energy is low, I'm gonna continue to say, I'm gonna do what God's called me to do. You remember those students at Strayer University, they were doing this study and uh, it was fascinating a lot of people would come and they would be very discouraged when they'd come and write their regret on the board. And then they, the students would let these people go some steps away and they would chase them down and say, hey, we have an eraser for you. Come and erase your regret. These people were kind of awestruck, like, hey, why do we need to erase our regret? Like, we just answered your question. And, and they start erasing their regret. People who we're tangibly seeing, I'm, I'm not trying hard enough. I can, it's not over yet. You know, like I'm, I'm working too much. Oh, you know, I can change that right now. Like I can get rid of that. I'm not taking a risk. What kind of risk can I take? And when they encourage these individuals saying, hey, you might have a regret in your past, but you have a hope for your future. These individuals, they, they started their, their, chase, their, their faces being turned down were now starting to turn up. 
their face is realizing that, hey, the bridesmaids, we still have an opportunity to hear the warning. We have an opportunity to get to the party. We have an opportunity to be accepted. We have an opportunity to say, hey, you know what? I'm ready to dance and celebrate on the goodness of who Jesus is in my life. See, doing first what matters most is recognizing that you and I still have time. You and I can make things right. So this morning, I'm going to conclude in prayer, and then Pastor Chris is going to come out with some concluding remarks. But I want to pray for two people, two groups of people specifically. The first one is this. There are those in here who are consumed with regrets, who are consumed with not being good enough and saying, hey, you know what? I don't know if this whole church thing, this whole relationship with Jesus is for me. I want to challenge you with this. It's not too late yet. You can make a decision to make Jesus the Lord and leader and savior of your life. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I want you in my life. Forgive me of my sins. I'm going to commit to follow you and be the best me possible that you've called you to be, that Jesus called you to be. Take that step. Begin a relationship with Jesus. Don't let any of this hinder you, hurt you, or push you down. And there's also another group of people in this place who you're thinking to yourself, maybe you're not looking at what kind of fuels being poured into your life. Maybe you're saying, you know what, I have some regrets. I'm just new, moving past. Or, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I've gotten real complacent in my walk. My question to you is this. Are you ready? You might look the part. You might have some of the oil. You might have the lamp. You might have some of those things. But are you the best you who God has called you to be? Are you ready? Is your light lighting up the space in the room? Because it's really easy to kind of drift. And when Jesus challenges his disciples, he wants to make sure, hey, are you drifting? Are you going to be alert? Are you going to stay awake? So I'm going to ask every head to bow and every eye to close. And we're going to this moment of prayer. Lord, we give you this time right now. You see us. Lord, we pray for the individuals in this room. We pray for those who want to start a relationship with you through your son, Jesus. We pray that you move, that your Holy Spirit comes upon their life, that they realize that there's only one hope, that they realize there's only one uh, gift, and that's the grace that you've given us. That's what matters. Lord, we pray for these individuals that they make it a step forward and say, hey, I want to follow you. Hey, I want to live for you. Hey, I want to be changed by you. Hey, Lord, we pray that your spirit comes and moves in their life right now. That they commit to you and they give their life to you. And Lord, we also pray for those in this place who might be battling and going through complacency. Maybe aren't quite ready. We pray that you bring a new vigor in their life, a resurgence of energy, of passion, Lord. May your spirit fuel them and fire them up to do and go beyond what they've even thought could happen. God, we give you this morning. We give you our worship. We give you our praise. In your great and holy name, we all say. 
Hey, thanks for listening today. If you have any questions or would like to speak to someone concerning this message, we invite you to fill out our online communication card at faithnfm.com. And if you're able, we'd love to have you with us in person on Sundays at 9 a.m. or 1045 a.m. or on the best night of the week for Wednesday prayer at 7 p.m. We're at 7101 Bayshore Road in North Fort Myers, just two miles west of I-75 at exit 143. Thanks again for listening.